0: Good morning. Make some noise if you're excited to be in church. Come on, you got a little energy. I know it ain't Easter Sunday, but come on now. Man, I just got back from uh, Oregon and played uh, one of the greatest golf courses I've ever played in my life. Felt like the Lord told me to tell you that. (laughs) He had nothing to do with the Lord, just wanted to tell you that I did. Man, I'm telling you, man, this is an interesting time in my life. The Lord is doing so much. Uh, Did anybody come to church on Easter Sunday? Make some noise, man. God was so good, man. We had like thousands of people, man. And it's not, it's never about the number. That's why I don't want to really give you a specific number. It was a lot. Uh, You were here, so you know it was a lot. But it's really about people uh, encountering Jesus, you know, in a world that's in, increasingly becoming apparent that we need something higher than ourselves to navigate it you know jesus can't just be i love that song jesus at the center he can't just be around Uh, it's not he's not his most effective when he's just there you know the bible says that god is omnipresent god is everywhere so god will never leave you or forsake you but if we're not careful um, there are certain things that we need to do to access the full power authority and grace and truth that it would be to be around jesus I was going to get some coffee this morning, and I drove past four fire hydrants, and I just thought to myself, it really wouldn't matter if I was dying of thirst if I drove past the fire hydrant, because although this has all of the power in the world, it has enough water to put out a fire, if I don't have the right tools to access that hydrant, I can't sit next to it and hope that a little bit of water drink, you know what I mean? Like, there's there's certain things that can solve your problem, but if you don't have the right thing, and to access the Father, and all the things we talk about takes faith. Not just enough faith to realize God exists, because the Bible says demons believe God exists, but enough faith to make God the center of your entire life. The Bible says in the book of Acts, in him I move and exist and have my being. Come on, 930, help me out this morning. Help your boy preach. So I'm going to jump into a a word today that I believe is going to encourage you, uh, but it's also going to challenge you. uh, Because as I'm trying to grow as a communicator and a preacher of the gospel, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm in this place right now in my leadership where I want to tell people the truth. And there are parts of the truth that are harder to hear than others. There are parts of the truth that are so complex if you try to process them with your own human, fleshly, selfish part of you that you will never be able to understand that it's actually good for you. Um, and as you grow in maturity, you're able to hear really complex truth. The Bible would call that meat. In the Bible, literally, it would call uh, our, the Christians have to be ready for meat. And in, in the book of Hebrews, it says you are still on pure spiritual milk, and it describes us as like infants. And it's not—you would be a bad parent if you gave a six-month-old baby a steak, even if the steak was from Mastros. You would—they couldn't consume it. They couldn't chew it because they're too young. So we're bad pastors when we give brand new believers mastro steak about sexuality and drugs and like you're a bad parent, like well, choke on it. And let me explain something to you. If you gave a four month old baby a steak and they choked on it, you wouldn't say, the baby needs to learn how to chew meat. No, you would, <laughs> you would realize pretty quickly that you made a mistake. So here is the dyna- thanks, honey. Here is the dynamic that I have as a leader: is that I have people in this room who are ready for the deep things of God, ready for a steak from Mastros, and then I have people in this room who will choke on it. Um, and, and animals will often help smaller animals eat meat by chewing it up for them. So what I try to do when I preach is I can read a scripture and some people in this room that are ready for me go, amen. And some people who are still on spiritual milk, there's nothing wrong with you. I have to chew it up, process it, and get revelation. So then what? I give you the secondhand revelation that I got from it, and then you can process it spiritually. Does that make sense? And so that's what I'm going to attempt to do with this sermon today, and I'm going to need your help. Uh, So turn your Bibles to Mark 8 verse 34 through 38 we're still in the series made for more and this is the the hard thing that we're gonna have to do to get to the more and the Lord's showing me that together in community we can pull this off this is Jesus talking he said then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples can I just stop there for a second there was a difference between the crowd and the disciples uh, you can have thousands of people on Easter Sunday. Some of those people were the crowd, and some of those people were disciples. Now, when Jesus saw the crowd, the Bible didn't say you get excited. I'm a pastor. I'm human. I get excited when there's a crowd. Thousands of people. You guys saw all the Easter posts on Instagram, and thousands of people were coming to people's churches, and this makes pastors happy. And there's some health to that, and there's some unhealth to that. But there is no evidence that Jesus ever got happy when he saw a crowd. What he would do is he would leave the crowd to go hang out with his disciples, and he would leave the crowd to go pray. So when we're in the world and we're in a crowd, right, and we see all these people, we think in our theological mindset that Jesus always just went and loved the crowd and was kind to the crowd. Jesus seemed to have a little bit of, I don't want to say he had anxiety or social anxiety, but he was always running from a crowd. He was trying to get away from the crowd so he could teach his real disciples, or he was getting away from the crowd to pray. The only reason the crowd was there is because the crowd was smart enough to know, I better go where he's going. So I already feel like preaching. So Jesus didn't go to these places where there were crowds and love on them. He showed up in power and glory, and then when he moved, the crowd moved with him. So every time in the Bible where there was a crowd, it wasn't because Jesus chased after the crowd. It's because the crowd, whether or not they believed him or not, was smart enough to know there's something different about Jesus. Let me show up and go where he's going. Does that make sense? It'll help you understand when we tell people casually we should just be like Jesus, Well, what does that mean? We should wait for people to follow us. We should be people that are worthy of following. So he said he called to the crowd to him among with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, you don't have to, if you want to, not a different time, because back at that time. Um, What is the most prominent uh, career you could have? A a businessman or or an entrepreneur or an actor or a musician? Well, in this time, one of the most prominent positions you could have in all of society was a rabbi. And so that's not nobody wants to be a pastor. So they had an advantage because everybody back then would have wanted to be me. Nobody wants to be me. Nobody. I, I don't meet anybody in the church that say like, I want to be just like you. I want to have my own church one day. Some people do. But back then, almost every person would have wanted that. So he's saying, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Now, giving you quick context, he has already told them that he's getting ready to die on a cross which back then they would have known was an excruciating crucifixion. That Many people say there is no more painful way that you could die than a cross. He's already told them I'm going to the cross. Peter is saying that will never happen to you. And Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan because Peter is trying to talk him out of his suffering and sacrifice for you and me. So he calls him the devil. Can you imagine you having a friend who's trying to talk you out of, you're not going to have to go through that? Let's say they just say it's going to be okay, and you go, get behind me, devil. It ain't going to be okay. I'm going to walk through the fire, but my God's going to be with me, and he ain't going to get me out of it. He's going to get me through it. Get behind me, devil. They were just trying to encourage you. They were just trying to have your back, and you called them the devil. Isn't it interesting? So that means one of the things that the devil does is make us think that God is so good that we're not going to have to suffer or go through anything to get to where he has for us. And when you feel that way and you feel like God is not good because of what you're going through, literally you need to say, get behind me, Satan. And One person clapped and then, can I just speak life over you? You didn't. When no one else clapped you like gave three short claps cause you went like, and then nobody else clapped. And you just don't let these people steal your clapping joy. If you want to clap, you clap. Man, some services people clap, some people don't. That's why I don't get addicted to the claps. I mean, but they'll be real 11, 15 claps like seals. They just be like, (laughs) 930 don't really clap like that. So it's cool. But I'm saying you're a leader. Start a clapping culture. Don't just it's when you shut down your clap and nobody else. But if you anybody want to clap, just six claps. And then after six clap, if nobody claps, you're weird. But don't stop on three. This is just kind of like a coaching thing. Like six or seven claps, you're a weirdo. Three, you're just a leader. But if you clap eight times and no one else claps, then just please stop. Like you don't have the anointing. You don't have the anointing. You don't have the anointing. Where was I? Oh, he said, oh, dad, you're used to this, huh? Whoever must be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me. Will gain it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. Not lose their life over dumb decisions. But. If you lost something because you were following me, there's a prophecy that you're going to get it back. Like, if you lost your income because you stopped being manipulative, God's going, I got you. If you lost your income because you were late, God is like, I got you, but through discipline and consequences, so you learn. So we think that, oh man, like we're being persecuted because we follow Jesus and people hate us because we love the Lord. No, people hate you because you're kind of a jerk and the way you say things is not cool and like nobody likes a mean person and just because you put John chapter 4 in front of what you say doesn't make you kind. You're not being persecuted. Stop. 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 The Bible says that we'll be persecuted for our faith. No, you're just kind of mean. And you're not compassionate, and people sense that. And so he's going, if you're trying to protect this life from something, you're going to lose it. But if you're not trying to protect it, you're going to save it. Isn't that weird? Don't we have things in our life right now that if we lose this, we think it's over? I'm reading a book on anxiety, and it says... Anxiety begins, not that you have a full-blown anxiety attack, but anxiety begins when there is something that you believe that you need to be okay, and it's not Jesus. I don't care if it's a relationship, a job, someone else to do something different, someone else to change. You believe that you need something other than Jesus to be okay. Welcome to being anxious. And one of the things about being anxious, I don't even know, because like, I've... I I didn't think that I was an anxious person, but I have signs of anxiousness that need to be addressed. And one of those signs of anxiousness is when you think about something over and over again. You go to sleep thinking about it, like there's some looming good news or bad news, and you just think about it all the time. That's anxiousness, which is why the Bible says, think about such things that are pure and worthy of praise. If it's not worthy of praising God, limit the amount of time that you think about it. If you don't see, you did the three clap. I thought we just talked. Nobody clapped, and you still is there a spirit of fear, Jesus? We cast out all the clappers, Lord, the clap anointing release in the name of the Lord. It's people scared of what other people think about their clapping. So, this is the dynamic. That's amazing, That's amazing, bro. This is. For what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? So Jesus will never leave you or forsake you, but he doesn't say that in the process you can't forfeit your soul. You forfeit your soul based off what you pursue, not even based on what you want or work for, But your primary pursuit, if it's not your relationship with God and your faith, you will forfeit your soul. So God will be with you, but you will be operating with a forfeited soul. What is the soul? The mind, your ability to think, the will, your ability to make decisions, and your emotions. So anybody want to forfeit healthy emotions? Make some noise. Of course you don't. Anybody want to forfeit indecisiveness? Often can come. You ever see someone where you just vacillate from this and say, Well, if I do this, then this is gonna happen, but so I don't wanna do this. But then if I do that, then this person's gonna be mad at me and they're gonna be frustrated. And so I think I'll do this, but wait, if I do that, then I'm not doing this and I'm not being myself. And then you go back and forth, back and forth. That's an issue in your soul. If you have constant indecisiveness, you have an issue in your soul. You're not a processor. You don't just like to think about it. If you, if you are indecisive until you feel afraid and overwhelmed, that's the human will. Does that make sense? So, so if that's you and it's not like going to kill anybody, just make a call. Can I encourage somebody today? Just make a call. Just do something and say, Lord, I don't know if this is right, but if it's 60% right, I'm going to just do that. And then, and, and if it goes left, I'll learn from the lesson. But people who are trying to make the perfect decision, and here is some good news for you. When your heart is pure before the Lord, the issue that most of us have with the issue in our soul is we think that the things that went well in our life were because we made the perfect decision. I would rather have an imperfect decision and a pure heart than a bad heart and a perfect decision. Because the Lord is going to bless. Have you heard some of the ways that people got blessed in the Bible? Have you heard the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer where they were facing a battle with the Philistines and there was only two of them? And Jonathan tells his armor bearer, I got an idea. And the armor bearer says, what's your idea? I think that we're going to die today. But we might as well, and I'm paraphrasing, not go out without a fight. So here's what I'm thinking. We're going to tell the Philistines, we're going to come up there and kill you. If they come down to us, we know that today we die. But if they say, go come up here and fight us. Now we know the Lord is with us. And his armor bearer said, cool. (laughs) What kind of plan is that? And if you look at the plan, it wasn't a good plan. It was people with huge faith doing the first thing that came to mind, and God blessed it. See, when you're looking for a good plan, most of the things in your life didn't come from a good plan. Did they? Me being a pastor didn't come from a good plan. You know what God would have said to me if this is a plan? I know you want to be a songwriter. So I'm gonna put you and give you a publishing deal and put you in studios with some of your favorite artists, but none of the songs are gonna go anywhere. And you know why? Because if they went somewhere, you wouldn't answer the call to ministry. So I'm gonna frustrate you. I'm gonna make sure that you have none of your dreams coming to pass. And then it's gonna actually get so bad. Guess what, Julian? You're gonna have to get a job as a telemarketer. And you're gonna make cold calls to people trying to close deals. And none of them are gonna close because if they do, you're you're gonna make $250,000 a year like everyone else around you. So I can't have you make $250,000 a year like everyone else around you because you would never go work for Pastor Philip for 40K. <laughs> so I'm gonna make you make 40K in a job where everyone else is making six figures and you're gonna be frustrated and you're gonna be upset. But guess what? You're going to start a Bible study at the same job that's paying you nothing while you're borrowing money for gas from your girlfriend, Christina, worried about whether or not she's going to marry you. And by the way, you're going to have back taxes because you spent the money you should have sent to the IRS on weed. But don't worry. We'll deal with that later. You're going to be a kid's pastor. And guess what? You're not going to get to preach to adults. You're going to preach to kids. And you're going to have puppets named TD Milkshakes and Tito Testimony. And guess what? God's going to move. And Philip's going to see something in you. And then Holly's going to see something in you. And then you're going to come on staff for the 40K you didn't want to make. And I don't know, we're going to do some stuff. You're going to cry. People are going to disrespect you and dishonor you and not see your gifts. And then seven years, you're going to be the lead pastor. What do you think? It's a horrible plan. Why are you clapping? That's a horrible plan. So the reason why we walk in such confusion is because we have pursued things that has forfeited our soul, and now our human will cannot handle God's will. Remember, your soul is your mind, will, and your emotions. So your emotions can't handle that revelation. Your mind can't handle that revelation. And your will, your human will, cannot handle that God told me that, I would have ran. Uh, it's funny because I would have ran. Jonah ran from God. But God didn't say Jonah was bad. We all say Jonah was the prophet who ran from God. You know what Jesus said about him? They repented at the preaching of Jonah, but one greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus seemed to understand Jonah's greatness. He seemed to understand the gravity of Jonah doing something for God that his humanity could not handle this is why when you pursue things of the world and you forfeit your soul you are not in the position for god to put his divinity in your humanity and then you oh my god this ain't no joke he says what can anyone give in exchange for their soul and then he says this if anyone is ashamed of me and my words if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory with the holy angels. As I was doing this, this message and preparing for it, I was like, I'm living a double life. I'm living a double life. And when we say I'm living a double life. We always go, everybody in here is living a double life. Everyone. There, there, there's the you that uh, is, is the real you, Right? There's the me that's filled with the Holy Spirit and from San Bernardino. And then there's the me that shows up to a pastor's gathering if I'm completely being honest and I'm the only black person there. And everybody's white. And so then I become the Julian minus the San Bernardino. (laughs) Start high-fiving up here. And I'm like, but I want (laughs) to. I'm just looking for like somebody I can connect with. Just just come in low. I can't come in like that. And then someone comes up to me and they go. It's just like in slow motion. I'm like. (laughs) And I grab their hand because we grab hands and hold it for a while. Sam, can you help me? He's just like... Sam. Thank you, Sam. I'm not joking. That's how old white pastors shake hands. Now, Sam, come back up here. But what I want to do, and I got to fix it, because I'm like, hey, oh, oh, okay. It's just... I'm like... It's a different me. I'm adjusting. And it's not double life like alcoholic pastor. It's not like I'm alcoholic, but there's the me that comes to church and believes that God's gonna do anything. Like there's the full of faith, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then I have a problem outside of the church or there's the me at the office. The me on the platform and the me at the office are two totally different Julian. This, I, I know it's God. When I get to the office and we're trying to plan and strategize, I'm like, well, we do have to have a plan. And we do have to have like structure and structure is the enemy of the spirit. And the spirit is the enemy of structure unless the spirit is the one who told you the structure. So you can't say I'm a a person who likes structure. You'll kill the spirit. And you're saying I'm a person who lives by the spirit. You'll kill structure. It is both, but both are products of the spirit. So whenever you have a plan that is not God, it destroys your soul because you pursue the plan not the person who's in charge of the plan. Does that make sense? And so I'm living this double life where, man, there's certain things that I pray about and there's certain things that I feel like I need to answer to. Like, I gotta be smart. I'm the leader. I have to figure this out. Like, there's some point where if your family is not eating, we stop praying and we, we go try to provide. And then we can say Well, the Lord, but to someone else, we would say the Lord is your provider. But then we feel the weight of providing. And then when we're providing at a high level, then we feel the weight of not being there enough. And some of us, we want husbands who are there, but we don't want them to be broke. And then when they're not broke, we complain that they're not there. And that's the weight. And the Holy Spirit is like, well, who am I? And I'm always having to change at the end of the day. I'm who people want me to be or who need me to be, and I've lost Jesus and all of it. And that person has to die so consistently. Paul said the time frame is daily. Because other translations of this verse says, pick up your cross and die daily. So if you're living a life at a high level, every single day, something about you has to die so something about you can live the next day. Do you hear what I'm saying? And this is the part that we don't talk about when we talk about following Jesus. We go, if you want to follow Jesus, everybody just bow your heads. This is between you and God. On the count of three. One, he loves you. Two, today is the day of salvation. Three. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And people don't even know what they're signing up for. Yeah, yeah, right. And then they get hit with the cross and they're like, I thought you said. We got to tell people the truth. Well, you follow Jesus, you got to pick up a cross. They don't do that in gangs. You imagine? Pookie Loke. All right, Lokes. You've been wearing blue for a long time now. So on a count of three, I want you to close your eyes. And if you want to be a crip, (laughs) on the count of three, raise your hand. No one's looking around. It's just between you (laughs) and the OGs. (laughs) One, come on, you've been wearing Raiders jackets and Dodger blue for a long time. (laughs) Two, your Chuck Taylors have blue laces. Three, cuss, 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 ( sushi) cuss, (laughs) cuss, 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 all over this house. No, you get jumped in, they beat you up. And the Holy Spirit was telling me that we pray people in, and then demons jump them in. Oh my God, anybody been jumped into Christianity this year? I mean, we got anointed and prayed for as the lead pastors of the church and it was beautiful. I had a maroon suit on, a turtleneck. My ankles were moisturized with perfection because for the dark-skinned brother, the devil comes after the Achilles. I don't know what it is about this part back here, but it always just needs a little bit more lotion. People were congratulating me. People were congratulating Christina, but boy, that pandemic hit and we was getting jumped in the ministry. And then I was confused because what felt like this beautiful thing felt like getting jumped. It was coming from all sides. Paul said, we're pressed in on all sides. But he never complained about being pressed in because he had a revelation that he was picking up his cross. Galatians 2.20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. It's no longer I who live. Well, who's I? Whoever you, however you would answer that question. Well, what's your identity? What do you identify? That person's that. Like, I don't, we talk so much about identity in the world, and pastors come after sexual identity like they're better, and, and God's like, but you identify as a pastor. And I hate that. You know you identify as a pastor. You know your identity is how much you preach. That's why you have that person on your team who's 15 years younger than you who you are threatened by his anointing when he preaches because people clap for him more than they clap for you. And you know you don't let him preach because you don't want to see him because you identify as a pastor, and you're sitting here worried about what other people identify as, and you identify as anything other than a son, and you over there in the corner, you identify as a businessman. You identify as a father. You identify as this. You, I, whatever you identify as, God's saying, if it is not being a follower and a son or daughter of me, it's an idol. Yeah. Yeah. And we're worried about somebody else. And God's saying, we all do that. We all have this double life. And so what he's saying is this, this is, he's saying it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So can I present to you three ways, three ways that I believe we need to die? Because it says pick up the cross. Which means that while you're walking to purpose, I want to stop here and say you have a purpose, you have a calling, God's going to bless you. I believe there's prosperity going to break out in the church. I believe God has a plan for you that's going to blow your mind. But on the way to the plan, you're not carrying a playbook, but a cross. And if you put down the cross, then you can't carry the weight of God's glory that's revealed when he leads you to where he has for you. So this is not about where you're going. You are going to really good things. Can I encourage, I know this season is hard. That season, when I said the plan, that was the worst season of my life. I cannot believe to this day that it's led me here. I'm so grateful to be here, but I'm also grateful I didn't put down the cross. And I didn't put someone in my life to encourage me to put it down. And so we're going to have to pick up our cross and follow Jesus in, in these three areas and and I really feel this really strongly. We need to be willing to crucify anything that keeps us away from community in the church. Past experiences in church, uh, weirdness, in, you know, indifferences. I feel like, if I'm being honest, I feel like community in our church is good, but it could be better. And here's why it's good, but it could be better. Most of the people that I see in community, when you look at them, they have a reason to be in community, a really good reason. Common interests, they grew up together, they think alike or it, it, but I never really see that outsider make it into their community. Does that make sense? So you need to be friends with people that if you didn't have the Holy Spirit, there's no way you'd be friends. That's real healthy community. Like how did you meet? I don't want to see two people hanging out with each other and it goes, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they, they, both, they both like this. They both like to work out. They, you got to be, I want to see like some crazy liberal Christian eating every day with some hyper-conservative Christian and they're just hanging out because Jesus, the Holy Spirit has done something with them. You know, if all your friends look like you and think like you or they're adjusting themselves to be in, there and they can't really say I voted for Biden or I voted for Trump or I, you can't have those conversations because it will make you mad. They can't give you a different view on racism than what you have and they can't, like, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's our flesh and there's room for that kind of community, but the world can have that kind of community. Yeah. The world needs to see us like, how did y'all, yeah. man, God must be real for y'all to, yeah. to be friends. Yeah. Come on, y'all married to someone like that right now where you fell in love and you thought y'all had chemistry until you went home with that joker and now without the Holy Spirit, y'all ain't got no shot. Anybody without the Holy Spirit ain't got no shot to stay married, make some noise? You don't make no noise. You're like, Pastor Jay, nah, man, nah. <laughs> we just fought on the way here, nah, man. No, anything. And in, in community, we, we made up that word. I tried to Google the word community in the bible and there's not one verse that says community it's not a thing it's fellowship but since fellowship is an old school word we replace it with community and all community is is a gathering place that is not what god has called the church i love that we play beach volleyball i love that we do those things but if you play volleyball and go home you don't have community now if you play volleyball and you eventually make it in the home of somebody else you have community but sometimes we think we have community because people are like, "Hey," and we see each other at church. No, but you don't know if you have fellowship until you go to the hospital. You don't know if you have fellowship until you need a babysitter and a date night. Yeah. You don't know if you have fellowship, <laughs> <So> moms. <laughs> you don't know if you have fellowship until you, you you have an anxiety attack and you don't know who you have fellowship with. Who's the person you call? And the answer is no one. You don't have fellowship. And you got to pick up your cross and you got to crucify your pride and your ego. I had uh, just a crazy uh, bout with anxiety and I was crying. And I called my best friend. But to be honest, you know when I was trying to call? I was trying to call when I stopped crying. The Holy Spirit was like, calm down. I was like, I can't, I'm crying. Like I, I wanted to calm down first. But the Holy Spirit said, no, be weak and call him while you're crying. Not, nah, hey man, yesterday, man. Nah, man. Hey, just so you know, three days ago, man, I whew, was really struggling. Why didn't you call me yeah. And Another friend who told me something about him, himself that I never even freaking knew. And then I'm like, and then I, let me tell you something about myself that you never knew. And not like, you know, one time I broke my foot at Disneyland. I'm talking about like your deep soul things, the things that you're like, I'm good now. No, tell them anyway. Because community means intimacy. It means vulnerability. And come on, men. Being vulnerable is my worst nightmare. I don't feel like they made that word for men. Vulnerable? You want to be vulnerable? I just want to be vulnerable. I don't want to be vulnerable. I was not allowed to be vulnerable when I was a kid. It I'll give you something to cry about. Anybody grow up in that house? Oh, I'll give you something to cry about. As I already got something to cry about. My feelings are hurt. Oh, oh, your feelings hurt? Wait till this belt. You think your feelings hurt now? This belt gonna really hurt your feelings. Jeez. Go get my belt. I'm listening. I don't feel like I was abused, but, uh, but, but go and get your own belt is crossing the line to me. When you gotta pick out your own instrument of punishment I remember my dad was like, my my dad had these big old leather belts, man, go get the belt. But one time I came downstairs, remember the little Dockers belt with the little leather on the end? And it was like braided? I came down with that thing like, hit me with this. like, what? But it sounds like bad parenting. But I believe it was good parenting. Because Jesus is a perfect God And the father's a perfect father, and he's sending us to Home Depot to pick out the wood for our cross. You can have whatever wood you want. Birch. Pine. But make no mistake about it. On the way to the life I have called you to live, you have to kill the things that I don't want you to have. And it's, like, not fast. We have to kill the things It's not fast. You can't carry a cross fast. So I hope you don't plan on running. Bible doesn't say run with the Lord. It says to walk with him. Maybe it says to walk with him because when you run, you're not carrying a cross. Nobody's in a rush with a cross. Nobody's in a rush with a cross. We have to kill anything that keeps us from having community. And by the way, we had over, I'm going to give you a number. We had over 5,000 people. We put a number on the screen for people to be connected in in community with over 5,000 people who had access to this message about the hope of Christ and being a church community. How many people do you think out of 5,000 people text message the number saying, help me get into community? How many do you think? Somebody throw a number out. 30? Worse. 15. 15 out of 5,000 want to be in community and say, sign me up. And so I really believe, and I'm going to put this number on the screen because if I'm your pastor, help me pastor you because you put a weight on my preaching that is unfair if you're not in community. I need you to clap a little louder than that. Because in the Bible, when people were in community, Jesus read the scripture and sat down to churches that are not in community, I got to, and God said, somebody shout amen, and hallelujah, and God's going to bless you, and he's going to keep you, and I got to put on a show because you don't have any friends. I need you to text a number. Just put your phone out right now. Do I need to play some music? Just put out your phone right now. Just, Just please. If I'm your pastor, if I'm not your pastor, don't do nothing. But if you have not, Text this number to figure out how to get connected, and you know you're not connected, and you don't text this number, that just means I'm not your pastor, and that's okay. I want you to come here, and I want you to preach the gospel. But if I am your pastor, help take the weight off of these sermons and put some of that weight on your community. Does that make sense? Because, Because I don't get to listen to myself when I'm discouraged. That's the one thing that I learned about being a lead pastor. I can't go look back on my sermon about hope. Ooh, I need to... Pastor Julian, ooh, that's good. No, I... <laughs> If you saw me doing that in my living room, my, my wife would be like, you need to get some friends. <laughs> ooh, shoot, good word, pastor, good word, good word. I just feel so encouraged. I can't pastor myself. I need pastors. So I have to have people I call. Yeah. I'm just gonna leave it on the screen a little bit longer because some of y'all didn't even move. Have <laughs> hey, you got a Boost Mobile? And you, you bought your phone in the same place you got Slurpee, then I'm going to let you off the hook. <laughs> but if you got Verizon or T-Mobile, I'm going to need you to text this number. Just do it as a sign. If you're non in you don't have a lot of friends in this church. If you have a lot of friends, don't text. But if you don't have a lot of friends and a lot of people praying for you and a lot of believing in you, then A, don't do it. But also, please don't receive communal promises from God. Does that make sense? Because God is never talking to an individual when he says, and my people who are called by my name, and my people, people, not my person, my people. Are we leaving on there long enough? All right, man, I'm believing for just 30 people from this service to do it so we can reach out to you and figure out how to get you connected and help prepare you. The third thing that we need to do, this time has changed around a bunch of times. I don't know if it's accurate. Is it accurate? Okay, that's disappointing. (laughs) Uh, The second thing we need to do, I have three total, geez, we need to crucify anything that keeps us from obeying God, knowing that obedience is how we express love to God. Jesus said in Mark 8 verse 31, to deny ourselves. And to deny ourselves does not mean to deny something to ourselves. It means to reject ourselves to literally deny, to reject. Anybody have a fear of rejection? So when someone doesn't like you, it brings you fear. It makes you feel a certain way. Well, the solution to that is I don't like myself. I, I don't, if you don't like me, you don't like Jesus because even the things about me that are not of Jesus, I've rejected. You can't reject me. You can't give me a spirit of rejection If every single day I'm rejecting everything about me that is not of Jesus to the point where when you reject me, I can genuinely say you must reject Jesus because I reject myself every day. So why would I be afraid of your rejection when I reject everything that is in me? If fear, I reject it. Shame, I reject it. Doubt, I reject it. Ego, I reject it. Pride, I reject it. I'm married. So if if I find another woman attractive, I don't live in my sex. I reject that. Get that off of me. That is not me. Does that make sense? It's not the denial of sex. That's why abstinence is not Christianity. That's not true. You don't, it's not denying yourself sex before marriage. It is denying the person who needs sex to feel connected. Oh, my God. I'm denying myself. This is who I am. I need this. I'm crucifying that person. Are you following me? Nobody has a healthy relationship doing everything they want to do. So grace is not doing everything you want to do. You know how many times I don't want to do something, I got to do it. Like, and sometimes girls go, well, I don't want you to want to do it for me. I want you to want to do it. No, I I, I don't. I don't want to do it. I want to do, like, a handful of things in life. Eat chicken wings, golf, sex. Everything else I do because I love you. And that list grows as I mature. Where I'm like, I, but that's the immature list. As the list grows, I'm like, wait a minute. I want to walk in the garden with you. Right? Or whatever. Like, that thing that you don't want to do. I, I want to go on a hike. I want to work out. Like, I want to. It doesn't always happen. But I'm saying every healthy relationship has things that you don't want to do that you do because you love them. And then you do that out of obedience until you get the revelation that what they wanted you to do is actually good for you. That's the life of, of living. So we, don't, we can't just do whatever we want to do. And so I'm telling you, we have to crucify everything that doesn't want us to be in community and everything that keeps us from obeying God. Because it is the obedience of God that is our act of love where God says you are ready to receive everything I have for you. And the last thing I will say is we need to crucify everything that keeps us from being cheerfully and radically generous. Now, can I give you an interesting fact? We're in the middle of this, um, uh, I don't want to call it a campaign, but this giving initiative called, simply called 321. And we are believing, we're going to put it on the screen for you, for 300 people to begin their journey of giving, where every single time they are paid and they believe, here's the qualification for being a part of 300, you believe your compensation is of God. You are not doing that because you feel pressured to do it. You're doing it because you believe your compensation comes from God. And it doesn't matter what the amount is. Every time you get paid, you give the same thing or more, but you just do something every time you get paid. 200 people tithing regularly, which is 10% of the income God has blessed you. That's a biblical principle, and the Bible says that it's not a law anymore. It's not a legalistic thing, it's a faith thing. And 100 people to give a gift of $2,500 or more in this calendar year. You want to know an interesting thing? Whenever we talk about community, we get 15 responses. We have had more people give $2,500 did want to be in community. I just thought that was weird. You can take it off the screen because honestly, if I talk about giving, I don't know what it is about y'all. Y'all are so generous. You can take it off the screen. Y'all are so generous. Like what is going on? Why do we want to give, but we don't want to be known? I mean, literally, I talked about it to our staff and, and people I want to say that we have probably had the goal as 100. I want to say maybe 20 or 30 people have already done it, somewhere in that range. But when I say be known, be vulnerable, be in community, be disciple, 15. And so at the end of the day, most pastors will be like, cool. <laughs> like, if you want to come to church and you want to give, great. But no, man, my heart breaks because I know you're going to be in a situation where you come in here and you need a word from Pastor Julian, and I'm going to preach about something else, and it's not what you need to hear that day, and then you're going to say you don't feel fed no more, but if you were in a community where people you could talk to about that and they could bring up a scripture and they could pray for you, then now collectively together we are God's house. And so I do want to invite those of you who haven't had a chance to give, because i But the danger is that when we're generous, I know God opens up his resources, but he'll open up the type of resources to us that we need community to maintain. And that's my concern. And so here's what I'm telling you. You can come grab this. Here's what I'm telling you. This is the way life works. You have a dream and you're with God and you have a revelation of where God has called you to go have hopes you have dreams you have careers you have goals you have things and not the ones that are selfish but the ones where you know they are God and you ask God for a plan and you start trying to figure out so what are the next steps to get to where God has to me, for me and you know what the next step is and I hate to say it but the next step is a cross now I asked for a headset because a cross is too hard to carry i got it i don't really got it <laughs> no it's cool don't help me yet because i feel like i asked for a headset to make it easier to carry the cross because how am i supposed to carry a cross and preach at the same time and when i asked for the headset the holy spirit said you have to carry a cross and preach every single time you get up there you might not see it physically but it's always there one of my very good friends invited me to Oregon. I'm going to put this down real quick. <laughs> I'm going to put it down for an analogy. Stay right there, Sam. One of my very good friends invited me to Oregon. And we went to Oregon. We spent four days together in a cabin. And you guys, I, I, I played a golf course that was designed by the Holy Spirit himself. It said it on the brochure. I wasn't thinking about pastoring. I wasn't thinking about burdens. I wasn't thinking about being overwhelmed. It was the most beautiful experience of my life. And then I was in a cabin with four guys that if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, there's no way these four guys would ever be together. And one of those guys was my friend Jay. We stayed up all night talking about Jesus and talking about our families and the fathers we wanted to be. And for for one of very few moments, I, I didn't have a cross anymore. Tuesday night or Wednesday night, excuse me, Jay, my good buddy, he was coughing all night. All night long. I started thinking, man, Jay has COVID and now I'm gonna take COVID on to my family and like da-da-da-da-da. But this cough was different. All like, right, Jay, you good? He's like, yeah, I'm good, man. I just having a hard time catching my breath and I'm coughing. So he gets on the plane, we all fly back home to LA. We're sitting on the plane we're talking about this beautiful moment and I'm ready because this trip took the cross off my, my back and then I, I get a text message as we wake up I text Jay the night before um, the night we got back and I said Jay man you didn't look too good on that plane man are you good? He said yeah I just think I have the flu I get a text in the morning that Jay passed in his sleep and I was like I thought this was a golf trip nope no I got it man I got it I got it because if I don't if I got it I don't have it then I can't have the thing that God's calling me to see Sam went to help me because it looked heavy but there's a guy in the Bible named Simeon who helped Jesus not when he was heavy but when he fell Sometimes if you try to move too quickly, you'll fall. And then somebody's going to help you with your cross and carry it for you for a season. Not only do we have to be our own cross carriers, we have to be in enough community where when our cross becomes lighter through obedience and faith, we can help someone else carry theirs. I was believing those four days in Oregon would be a day without a cross, and God just gave me another heavy cross. This guy travels all over the world and helps children. And he convinced me the night before. He said, hey, hey, I need your help. And the Holy Spirit said, you need to help Jay help children all over the world because he's not gonna be able to do it. And Jay's just a really nice guy and I thought he didn't have the sales ability. I'm like, God, I, my cross was heavy enough. And this is what life is, I'm just walking. But here's what's crazy about the cross. It says in hebrews 12 this is so heavy and i know it's designed to kill some things in me but it says in hebrews 12 that's the beauty of vision for the joy set before him jesus endured the cross you carry the cross until you get tired and then the holy spirit gives you joy because you cannot see what you're carrying but the place you're going that carrying this cross is going to take you and I want to encourage somebody today, life is not easy, but don't put it down. Because you if you don't put it down, one day you'll have that same revelation for the joy set before you. You were able to carry your cross, enduring its shame, and you're able to do all the things that God has called you to do. Does everybody believe it? If you believe it, I want you to stand to your feet. And I want you to close your eyes and have a moment with Jesus and here's what I want you to pray for I don't want you to leave I want you to pray for the Holy Spirit to give you that same joy that Jesus had for the joy set before him he endured his cross now the Holy Spirit set the joy before you thank you Holy Spirit thank you Holy Spirit God you are so good Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray that anything in us that keeps us from being in thriving, authentic, intimate community, anything that keeps us from obeying you, anything that keeps us from being radically and cheerfully generous, Lord, I pray that this cross that we're carrying today would sacrifice that part of us so that we could live fully for you, that it's not we who live, but Christ who lives in us and I believe as we do that we will have such a profound joy that we can go through anything though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death we will fear no evil for you Jesus are our comforter in Jesus mighty name in Jesus mighty name come on 930 service in Jesus mighty name give him a great big hand clap and a shout of praise in the house of the Lord God is so good. Hey, if if Pastor Jason's gonna come up here and give us a a few things, but um, one of the things, man, that I wanna tell you is uh, following Jesus has nothing to do with getting a better life. It's the old life is gone and the new has begun. It's putting this life you're living on a cross and what's resurrected in your place is a powerful grace and truth filled believer learning from their heavenly father through love and grace how to live this new life and so if you want to receive that and i'm not talking about if you just want to make your life better but if you want this life to be done and figure out what it means to follow jesus in healthy community living your life according to his word and over time as you learn God releases things in your life according to your maturity you want to grow in your faith in Jesus you want to follow him it says pick up your cross so this altar call is not for someone who wants to believe Jesus exists it's for the person who's saying yep I'm going to take that. I'm going to rely on his joy and his strength and the community to carry whatever that is, whatever it is in me, my own way, my own decisions, my own will, my own emotions. That has got to go, and I want to follow Jesus. I want you to lift your hands on the count of three. Remember, nobody closing their eyes. It's all good. Uh, Proclaim Christ in front of everybody. One, two, three. Lift your hands up high if you want to receive Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, all over this place. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you God, we thank you God. Let's all say this prayer together. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins. And thank you that from this day forward, I am a cross carrier and a follower of Jesus. In Jesus name, come on, amen.